By the way, uh, parents of children, if you're listening, and some of you are, um, note that look for an email this week from me. I intend to take your children to the movies. That is because I want to see the movie sing, and if I go by myself as a 53-year-old adult, people look at me funny. So I'll just take your kids with me, and it'll be a good time. Um, Two stories today about children being raised in the temple or be learning from the elders in the temple. The first is of Samuel, and it comes from the first book of Samuel in the second chapter. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. His mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year. And when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice... Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, whose name was Hannah, by the way, and say, May the Lord repay you with children by this woman for the gift that she made to the Lord. And then they would return to their home. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and with the people. And then from the second chapter of Luke, toward the end of the stories of Jesus' early years, in the 41st verse, we get this. Now every year his parents, such Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. And when the festival ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents didn't know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. And then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, 
sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. But when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look at your father and I. We have been searching for you in great anxiety. And he said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as I said to you, I'm going to be looking closely at the poem called The Work of Christmas, which is a work from Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman was a chaplain in two major universities. He was also on the faculty of Howard University Divinity School and Boston University Divinity School. In between then, he started the largest multicultural megachurch in the United States. And he was a mystic and a poet and a theologian and a social activist. Uh, he advised Gandhi. He advised Martin Luther King Jr., but that was mostly because he was Martin Luther King Sr.'s roommate in college at Morehouse. And he wrote this great poem called The Work of Christmas. But I want you, it's, it's in your bulletin if you're having trouble seeing that up there under the affirmation of faith. I want you to see this in comparison to a very famous, well-known statement of Jesus, which happens in Matthew 25. Now in Matthew 25... Jesus is talking about the judgment of the nations. And there are people who believe in Jesus, and there are people who do not believe in Jesus. And he compares them to sheep and goats. And he says, when the time comes, the sheep will be sent this way, and the goats will be sent this way. And we pick up there. And he says this on, in the 34th chapter of the 25th, or the 34th verse of the 25th chapter of Matthew. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, that you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now compare this. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. See the comparison? It's interesting, isn't it? So here's where we're left today. Here's how this started, actually, was um, I was thinking about our dear staff here at Vance, lovely people that they are, and by and large, we have a really excellent staff here um, at Vance, and one of the things that I love about them is they all do their work with a certain theological underpinning to what they do, and here's, here's an example of what I mean by that. The school called a few weeks ago and said... We don't want to have our program in the Fellowship Hall. We want to have it in the sanctuary. Is that okay? And I said, I don't know. I'll have to think about that one. And I know why they wanted it, because this holds about twice as many people as the Fellowship Hall does, so that made sense. They just wanted a bigger venue. But Jay, our custodian, is always very clear to me that this is holy space that we don't just use this space for lectures or rehearsals or fun and games, that this is holy space. And so when the school called and said, hey, can we use the sanctuary? I said to myself, I'm going to have to check with Jay and see what he thinks. And Initially, the reason I wanted to do that was because he has such respect on a theological level for this space. I also wanted to check with him because I knew he was the one that was going to be cleaning it up if they left a mess. Um, But that's the kind of thing our staff has as an underpinning for what they did. So Debbie, today, unbeknownst to me, chooses this great, this anthem that they've done before. that's, That's Howard Thurman's The Work of Christmas. And as I'm looking at what is in the bulletin, I say to Jane, another person with great theological underpinnings, I think we should make the work of Christmas the statement of faith. And she doesn't know who Howard Thurman is because she went to a seminary that doesn't stress social justice the way some of us do. And so she starts reading it and putting it in the bulletin and she goes, Oh my gosh, this is great. You should just preach a sermon on that. I said, I know. So that's how we landed here today, thanks to my staff, who are all very bright and very theologically sound people, uh, which I appreciate greatly. Um, But there is something great about this poem that Howard Thurman has done. And... um, I want to show you, if I can, that he's talking about this as the work of Christmas, right? Christmas is the time when Jesus is born. But what he's talking about here is, once we're done celebrating that, what's left for us? 
to do. And what's left for us to do are these beautiful, beautiful acts of justice. Find the lost. Well, Jesus himself said, leave the, 90, leave the 99, go after the one who is lost, and bring that one back to the flock. Heal the broken. Now, if you read the Psalms, the Psalms are always saying things like, God is near to the brokenhearted. God comforts those who are broken. But Jesus himself In Revelation, it says, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. Right? Jesus heals the brokenhearted. Jesus feeds the hungry. We know that. Jesus, in all the places where Jesus is said to have fed the 5,000 or the 4,000, all those texts say, and he looked on the crowds that were hungry with compassion. Jesus fed people in need to release the prisoners. Now, Isaiah talks a lot about releasing the prisoners and how the Messiah will come and bring release to the prisoners. But remember Jesus in Luke as he starts his ministry? He opens up by saying, that the Lord has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and let the oppressed go free. It's Jesus' mission statement from the very beginning of his ministry. Rebuild the nations. Now, the rebuilding of the nations is all over the Old Testament prophets, because when they're in exile, that's all they care about is getting the nation of Israel rebuilt so they can go back home. And if you read Ezra, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, all those texts are all about rebuilding the nations. But there's another great text in Revelation where it talks about that there's a tree and the leaves on the tree will bring healing to the nation. And it's the Messiah that does that for people to bring peace among others. Very clearly in what's called the farewell discourse as Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples and head toward the crucifixion. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid because I have brought peace among people. And to make music in the heart. Stay seated, because you all may need to be sitting down when I tell you this. Gail Looney, stay seated. There is nowhere in the text of the New Testament that Jesus talks about music. Can you believe that? Isn't that hard to believe? Yeah, Emily, yeah, that's big eyes, yeah. It's hard to believe. Jesus does not talk about music anywhere in the text of the New Testament. But this isn't really talking about, now the Psalms are full of music. There's plenty of places in the Bible to say that music is important in the life of worship, even though we do have some cousins in the world of religion who say 
no, there should no, not be any instruments or there should not be any voices or all those kinds of things. They don't turn to Jesus to get to that theological point anyway. But Thurman says here to make music in the heart. So it's not just about notes here. It's about the way that your heart is full. And I think that goes to Jesus Jesus' purpose statement that comes to us in John when he says, I've come to bring you life and bring you life abundantly, you know, so that your heart can sing with the purpose that God has given you. So you can see, even those of us who stuck in our rugged, individualistic, American ways, where we love our pull our yourself up by your own bootstraps philosophy, we can see that all of this has plenty of biblical underpinnings. And I probably could have stopped there today and been done. But I wanted to talk about the lectionary text too. This is an important text. Jesus has driven his parents crazy, the teenage Jesus has driven his parents crazy. So those of you who are parents of teenagers, especially watching and listening, know that you are not alone. Even and Mary and Joseph were driven crazy by their teenage kids. But this text is so interesting, right? Because his parents are frantically looking for him. And he says, well, I mean, like you can almost hear the snotty teenager in him. Well, what do you expect? I'm here. And depending on what translation we have, it gets interesting. Because he says, uh, either he says, I w- I'm here doing my father's business. Or I'm here in my father's house. doing my father's business in other words doing the work of the kingdom or here in my father's house that is very interesting to me you know in the church in the life of the church we have some things that are dichotomies they're things that they seem like they're very different in the way the church plays them out But actually, if you look at them, they're not that different. Let me tell you what I'm thinking about. Like, mission and evangelism often get played on different sides of one another in the church. They're really not that far apart. Prayer and worship often get played on different sides of each other in the church. Have you seen this? Yeah. They're not that far apart. It's really a false dichotomy to say that they're different from one another. Worship and outreach get put on different sides of each other. Um, Christian education and fellowship. And the one that is here in this text is social justice and spirituality. Either you're doing your father's business or you're in your father's house. Here's what I'm going to propose today. 
to do the work of Christmas, to do the Father's business, we have to spend time in the Father's house. See, we can have all the good intentions in the world to feed the hungry or clothe the naked or, or release the prisoners or rebuild the nations. But if we don't come here and have conversations with God about what we're doing and how to do it, it will crumble in our hands. Because that just becomes the work of good-natured people. Not the business of God's kingdom. Fellas, coming to this house is important. That's the place where we learn what it is that God has for us to do in this world. And most definitely, some of those things are exactly what we've heard today. To feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to proclaim release to the captors, to give sight to the blind. Let the oppressed go free. But God will nudge us in how to do that and where to do that, and even why to do that. If we look at doing the business of God through what we learn by being in the house of God, thanks be to God. Amen.